Hi there, I'm Keaton. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting River Connect. That's one word to the number 97,000. You can also head to our website, theriverchurch.cc, to learn more about us in upcoming events. Lastly, if you want to give to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or head to our website and click the Give tab. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. So, as we start out, uh, I'm going to go to Revelation, but uh, if you want to, Revelation 21. And I was thinking about what we just came off of, and uh, the first part of Revelation 21 kind of does a recap of what we just had in a message last week, which I think is one of, for me as a Christian, it's probably the most horrible thing, I might get emotional, but it's probably one of the most horrible things I can think of, is knowing that all of those people are literally going to hell. And my heart breaks because I don't want anyone to go to hell. So we're coming off one of the hardest sermons, knowing that if you're not in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're going to hell, you're being cast in a lake of fire, and now we're talking about a new beginning. A new beginning for God's creation, for his Christians, those that have accepted him as Jesus Christ, as their personal Savior, they have an opportunity to live for eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. So in Scripture it actually calls it the New Jerusalem. Um, so as we read, we're going to go to Revelation and uh, bear with me because I am older than Ryan and I actually have bad eyes. So uh, chapter 21, it says, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, and first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I love the fact that Christ always presents us as his bride. There's nothing more beautiful than if you go to a wedding and you see that bride walking down the aisle for the first time, and when that husband looks up and sees her, the glee and the glory and the, just the astonishment on that, that man's face, that's how Christ is looking at us. We're his bride. We don't deserve it, but man, oh man, I love the representation there because he is waiting for us. He has adorned us. So it said, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Can I just stop there? I am so happy to hear this. I just spent the last two weeks in Midland, Texas, West Texas, where it was 120 degrees at times. At 6 o'clock the other night, I sent a text home, and it was 111 degrees still. And I was fixing problems on a, on a job where guys hadn't done things right. And at my age, I don't love climbing up and down ladders and getting in attics and doing things, but that's what I was doing, and it was 111 degrees. And I thought... As terrible as that situation was, and as bad as my body hurt every night, and I went home, I thought, this verse right here just says, no more pain, no more crying, no more passing away, no more death, no more sting of death. We have the assurance of knowing that we have an eternity with Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. So he's recapping everything just to tell you the glory, just to give you a snippet of glory. And the former things are all passed away. So anything that we know on this earth is now gone. All right? Verse 5, it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
I have to tell you, I write down a lot of words and a lot of information. I take a lot of notes when I'm at work. But I can't honestly say that every person I talk to is trustworthy and true. But we can count on the glory of Jesus Christ, right? Amen? We know that Jesus Christ's words, when he speaks a word, it is true. And we can count that as gold. And here he's saying, write them down. Because it's trustworthy and it's true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Again, hallelujah. We, we can't buy it. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to get salvation. But here we are. We're getting eternal life. Why? Because he's giving it to us willingly. All we have to do is take it. So he says, but as for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns of fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And again, he's recapping what we went through last week. So we're starting to go in, and the next few verses are going to talk about the New Jerusalem. But uh, we are actually studying, I teach a class on prophecy and end times on Sunday nights. And we've gone through different books of the Bible. We actually studied a, a man named Amir Safate, who's actually a Messianic Jew, very intelligent man gives you a different perspective of what the Jewish side of it is and using Jewish culture to make you understand. Um, but we've been in Ezekiel, and I love the fact that Ezekiel, which was written almost 600 years prior to the, the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, between 570 and 590 A.D., while the, the Jewish people were in captivity, um, it, at this time, there's an explanation of heaven, all right? So prior to this, there's a, there's a war for Gog and Magog. We call it the Ezekiel 38 war, which has to happen in order for the tribulation to happen. And there's a lot of things that happen there. But one of the best prophecies is in Isaiah 48. Now, mind you, again, way before anybody knew anything about the writing of Revelation with John. And it says this. These shall, these shall be the exits of the city on the north side, which is the 4,500 4, cubits by measure, Three gates, the gate of Reuben, the gate of Judah, the gate of Levi, the gates of being of the city named after the tribes of Israel. On the east side, which is to be 4,500 cubits, three gates, and the gate of Joseph, and the gate of Benjamin, and the gate of Dan, and on the south side, which is the 4,500 cubits by measure, three gates, and the gate of Simeon, and the gate of Issachar, and the gate of Zebulon. On the west side is the 4,500 cubits, three gates, the gate of Gad, the gate of Asher, and the gate of Nephtali. The circumference of the city is 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from the time on shall be, the Lord is there. Now understand, this is a prophecy. And we're about to read in Revelation, probably almost a thousand years later, that matches exactly to what was prophesied in Ezekiel. God's word is true, we can count on that. I will say I always have this anticipation of new things. I like new things. I like new restaurants. I like new buildings. I like stuff. I remember in 2016, I was out at a conference in Las Vegas, and we got to watch them blow up the old Riviera Hotel and Casino, and I thought that was kind of cool. So we're out there watching them blow it up, and there was this huge anticipation for weeks, months, of this happening, taking down the two towers, and what was going to take its place, all right? So with everything that's destroyed, there's always something new, right? And that's exactly what God's doing here. He has to get rid of the old to bring in the new, all right? 
So he's very, very prepared in everything that he does. But I remember as they blew up that building, there was talks about the convention center was going to take some of that property. Uh, some of the property was going to be a private investor. Well, here it is, 2023. The land sets desolate. There's nothing there because there was no preparation. There was no planning. And anything that was there failed. And I can say God is true. Everything he does does not fail. The only way anything can fail is if it isn't of God. Sorry, I can't get that out. So that's a small analogy of what we're looking at, but preparation is very important. So my first point is preparation. You see, God's plan for all of mankind was to live in perfection. You know, we know that in Genesis 1-1, God created the world. Uh, and then throughout chapter 1, and it goes in later, and he creates man. But what does he do in chapter 2? Well, chapter 2, verse 8 says, And the Lord planted a garden in, the e- in Eden, in the east, and there he put a man whom he had formed. See, God had prepared a perfect place for a man to commune with him until sin destroyed it. So God's plan was always for us to be in communion with him. He had prepared that place for us. He had made sure that we had a perfect place to be. Well, unfortunately, in Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as one man's sin entered through the world, and one man's death through sin, and so death spread upon all men because all have sinned. So we know that it comes crumbling down. Just like, I'm sure, the Riviera Hotel was probably beautiful when it was first built, and in its time, near the end, it was ashes. It was crumbling. It was falling apart. And that's the world that we're in today. As sin entered into the world, nothing else could progress. You know, I think about it. My wife and I were talking about it, and we kind of were joking around. I said, how intelligent had they... Think about how smart Adam had to have been. Because you have to understand, we're degrading over the years, right? We're, we're going downhill. And I think I know a lot of smart people. The, the industry that I'm in, I work, I, I hate to even admit this, but I'm in government security, and some of the people I work with are some of the most intelligent MIT grads and brilliant people. And I also realize they're kind of dumb sometimes, you know? They have no common sense. All they know is numbers. And I think, man, this, is, <laughs> this can be painful at times. <laughs> But I, I also look at the fact that, you know, he made us perfect. He made this perfect man. No sin, no blemish. There was nothing there. It was our own sin that caused us to fall away. So God's plan always was that we were going to be in this perfect situation. Not only that, but then Jesus himself later on says what? Because we've sinned and we need to do something different, and we know that there's an end time coming as we're studying in Revelation, and we know that they have to prepare something new for us. What's Jesus say in his own words? John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I like KJV because it says mansions. I like mansions better than rooms. Uh, just a personal thing. Uh, if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, and you come again, and I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So he's making a promise here. I'm going to do preparation for you, right? I prepared it in the very beginning. God the Father took care of it. You screwed it up. Now I've got to re-prepare, and I'm going to get you going in the right direction, right? So now we know preparation is extremely important. But I find it funny, at the end of that, Thomas goes to him and says, I don't know where you're going. Now understand, the 12 disciples have been walking hand in hand with Christ, 
for quite a while now. They've heard everything he's had to say. He's been telling them, I'm going to ascend into a heaven. There's going to be a heaven. You're going to be there with me someday. And Thomas's first thing is, huh, well, Jesus, I, I, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know how to get there. You know, and then he says, Peter, or he says, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except for me, right? So later on, what happens? Well, then Peter follows in. Well, who's going to do this? And what's going to happen then? And Jesus says, listen, I have done the preparation. You can count on that. I've never lied to you. You can count on my words. So the preparation is very important. We understand the preparation had to go in, not only in the beginning, but now in the end times. So we have a new heaven and a new earth. It says, well, what does that look like? So we have a purpose then, right? Point two. So I'd like to finish reading. Because I can't really fathom how beautiful heaven is really going to be. And the new Jerusalem. I think John does a great job of trying to explain it, but he can only go by what he knows, right? And when I think of this and I read it, Think about the words it's saying. It says, Then came down the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride and the, and the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit, a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Has anybody ever seen jasper? I have never seen clear jasper in my entire life, so I can't even make an understanding of what's going on here. Jasper's usually very solid. You know, you don't get to see through it, but he's saying, hey, it's, it's like jasper, but I can see through it. It had a great high wall and 12 gates, and, and the gates 12 angels, and on the gates were the names of the 12 tribes, and the sons of Israel were inscribed. Again, I love this because this is actually showing the prophecy from Ezekiel becoming true. Ezekiel 48 now is going to be just brought forward here. And on the three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length, the name, and it's the same as its width. And, the measured, and he measured the city in his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubit by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Now, I did a little bit of homework on this, and I was trying to figure out, I didn't know what a stadia was, so I had to look it up. I'd love to tell you I was bright enough to know that. Um, but after doing some calculations and doing some work, my wife and I figured out that it's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. And when I started wrapping my head around that, it's actually equal to the size of the moon. All right? This is something that God is creating for us. It's not something little. It's not something tiny. This is massive in size. So when John's looking at this, he's not looking at it like, eh. He's looking at it of, I'm full of wonder. I don't, I've never seen anything this big in my life. You know, you got to understand, John hasn't been around that whole lot. And he's been in a very centralized area. Uh, 
And at this point, he's seeing this massive, massive structure. But it's not only a massive structure, but it's made in perfection, right? So we're going to read a little bit about that here. So the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh is jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, which the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, I've seen a lot of pearls in my life. I've never seen a pearl over maybe this big. Can you imagine one solid pearl gate? Now, you understand, there's 12 gates. There's three on each side. So it's these massive, massive pearl gates. And the thing that I find funny is everything that we think is important in life, you know, the diamonds, the rubies, the, the things we put worth on, gold. Gold is a brick paver in heaven. Not only is it a brick paver, but it's actually the most pure gold you could ever see. You can see right through it. We've never seen gold like this. So we talk about 24 karat gold, how wonderful that is. If I had a bar of 24 karat gold right now, I'd be a really happy man, by the way. I could pay off all my bills, that'd be good. But in heaven, it's a brick paver. Everything that we consider precious, precious jewels, precious stones, it's foundation. It's literally the foundation to our homes. I can't imagine the color and the brightness, the blues, the greens, the reds that are coming out of these stones, the yellows, the pure radiance of heaven and the pure radiance of the new Jerusalem just shining, shining through. So as we read that, what's our purpose then? We know that this heaven exists. We know the new Jerusalem exists. What's our purpose? I mean, what are we really doing when we get there, right? What are we called to do? Well, I wrote down a little thing last night. And I, it says, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that God created man and that he created us for his glory. Therefore, the ultimate purpose of a man, according to the Bible, is simply to glorify God. That was one of my bright, intelligent moments last night. <laughs> it's like Education 101, but I wanted to write it down because I wanted to make sure I read it correctly. Purely, everything we do is to glorify God. Anything we do outside of that is waste. You know, it, it, God says, lay up treasures in heaven because everything here, moth and rust, does corrupt. It's not worth anything. And it's taken me a long time to understand that. Uh, I grew up a pastor's kid. My wife is a PK, so who, how two PKs got together, we'll never understand that. But in addition to that, the last thing I ever wanted to do was be standing right here. I ran from ministry for so long. I always compare myself to Jonah, but I'm like a multi-Jonah. So instead of getting out and doing what I was supposed to do, I'd swim back in and jump back in the fish and hope that I'd get puked up later on somewhere else um, and not be used. I could just hide in the back. But God had a plan. And little did I know, all that running and not wanting to be in ministry because I've been hurt or just so much turmoil as a pastor's kid, what I didn't understand is God had a plan. He had a purpose for me. And everybody has a purpose. And you can't run from it. And if you do, you're going to be miserable. So how do I know this? Well, in Psalm 100, verses 2 and 3, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. That's our job. Is that me? Am I popping here? So 
what we're supposed to do is serve the Lord with gladness. And verse 3 says, And know the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, and we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. So we know we're just his. We belong to him. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we can be, really is to glorify him. So how do we fulfill our, our purpose, right? So in 1 Samuel, it says we fulfill our purpose by glorifying God. 1 Samuel 12, verse 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. John 17, 4 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is Jesus himself talking. Jesus didn't have to say, I mean, he was a perfect man, right? Not only was he a perfect man, but he's God. But he's actually talking to God himself, and he says, I glorify you on the earth. Because you've accomplished the work that you gave me. I've accomplished the work you gave me to do. What's that work? To glorify him. To bring others to him. To give them the new good gospel. You know, up until this point, only the Jews thought they were going to heaven. Now he's telling them all can go to heaven. For all have sinned, right? But God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, a whosoever is everybody. Right? We are all whosoever's. I think they're bringing me a mic here, so I apologize. This thing doesn't like me, I don't think. It's okay. It was kind of irritating me anyway. So, <clears throat> so, the, <laughs> so now we know that since God created man in his own image, man's purpose can't truly be fulfilled apart from him. Because he made us, let me say that again, we cannot fulfill our purpose without him. Christ is everything. You know, I see a world that's crumbling more and more and more often. And I was pretty hard. I I could have cared less. I hate to admit that. And then when I started getting back into ministry, and I, I said, God, I really want you to break my heart. Be careful what you ask for. I'm a bumbling idiot now. Sometimes I cry over the dumbest things. You know, last, last week's sermon, I, I could barely sit through it. I was dying knowing that people were going to hell. I wanted to go out and fight hell with a squirt gun by the time we got done. And I know that's not going to work because I have got nothing. All I've got is this good word. All I've got is the gospel that I can proceed and, and give to people. But it did show me something that no matter what, no matter how perfect our situation Sin will destroy. Garden of Eden is a great example. Sin destroyed. You know, I I love these people that always blame Eve for it. You know, Eve was persuaded to do it. No one had to tell Adam. Adam did it on his own. You know, and I kind of laugh because there's always that church rumbling there. But he chose to sin. I don't know what would have happened if he wouldn't have. You know, would have God changed things? I don't know. But because of that sin, we know from that point forward, we have no ability to commune or be right with God, except for through the plan of Jesus Christ. So you have a purpose, you have a moment, and you had a purpose from the very moment that you existed. The very moment you were conceived, God had a purpose for you. And how do I know that? Well, it says in Psalm 139, 13 through 14, For you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
and I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? And 1 Corinthians, it says, so whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We know that our purpose, 100%, is to glorify God. So now that we know Christ has had preparation for us, we know what our purpose is, well, what's the plan? We all have to have a plan. I like, I like three Ps. I like to, to do my sermons and numbers and, and chronologically. Um, but there's so many verses about plan. It's really, really simple. God came to this earth. He sent his son. He sent Jesus not just to, to, to live here and to be a man and to overcome sin, but he gave us an opportunity to know without a shadow of a doubt that we could live in the new earth and the new Jerusalem, the new, new heaven. And there's so many verses that back this, but I love Second Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord will not slow, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach receptance or repentance. And when I think about that, one of the biggest arguments I get nowadays from the unchurched or the unsaved, they're like, well, I can't believe in a God that would just damn me to hell. And I can't believe in a God that would want to destroy people. God's not saying that. He's saying right here, he's slow, very slow, very patient. Because with a snap of a finger, like he's going to do in Revelation at the end times, all he has to do is speak the words and it's done. So at any moment, Christ could take over, God could take over, he could end it all. But the realism is he's patient. And he loved us so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins, to give us a way to heaven. 2 Timothy 2.4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of his truth? For this is the will of my father, John 6.40, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. It doesn't get any better than that. Romans 10, 13 says, for, everyone, for anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters what you believe. John three thirty six says, whoever believes on the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. So there is a penalty for our sin. There's a penalty for us not accepting him as Jesus, as our Christ, as our Lord and Savior. You know, the Bible says no man can serve two masters. You either serve, and I I hate to be this blunt, but you're either serving Satan or you're serving God. If you don't know Jesus today as your personal Savior, it's exactly what you're looking towards as last week's message. An eternity separated from God. See, people worry about hell. I I hear people joke about hell, about how they're going to party in hell, and I'm going to party with my friends in hell. Do you realize Jesus went through so much pain on the cross, even leading to the cross. They said that he was beat within inches of his life. They've done studies to show that one more whip would have killed him. They put a thorn of crowns into his skull, He bled. In all the pain he endured, you never heard him complain. And there is only one moment when he cries out on the cross. And when is that? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? 
And I think about those people going to hell. Because God will no longer be there. And they will be forsaken. And when you are away from the presence of God Almighty, you will know it. And I'm not here to scare you. I'm letting you know life, eternal life and damnation is not where you want to be. I pray so hard for my family, my friends, for those that don't know him. Because the realism is heaven has everything to gain. Anything and everything we could possibly think and more. And as we continue through, you know, I'm not going to read the rest of the scriptures because I'm running out of time here. But as we look at it, we see no more tabernacle. We don't need a church anymore. We come here, we go to church, we have a church building, don't need it anymore. Why? Because God is our tabernacle. Jesus himself will be there with us. We don't need any light. We don't need any protection. The gates will be open at all times. Because why? There is no night. At night, what happens? The thieves come in, they steal. That was always a problem. He's like, we don't need gates. The gates will always be open because the light of Christ will shine eternally. So I'm going to close and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Ryan. Again, if you weren't happy with what I had to say today, you know, you can text him or email him. Uh, (laughs) But I appreciate you having me. I know it's a lot to put into a small amount of time. I didn't want to just talk about heaven, though. I want you to understand that Jesus is real. God is real. Heaven is real and hell is real. And when Jesus had the ultimate plan, when God had the ultimate plan and sent his son to die for us, the gift of God was to send his son. And that gift was for him to come onto a cross and bear our sin. Not only to bear our sin, but to rise again on the third day, and not only rise again on the third day, but take on death, hell, and all of our sin. Take on all the sin of the world to overcome it, to give us an opportunity to be in heaven, to give us an opportunity to have eternal life. He defeated death and the grave, and I'm telling you today, if I could just scream it from the mountaintops, hallelujah. God has given us a way, and there's no better way.